Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 207, the July 1986 issue on sale, April 8th of 1986, cover price 75 cents. This one is titled Ghosts. My daughter's birthday is April 8th, but she wasn't born in 1986, did you say? 1986, I said. Okay. Weird. I suppose it was bound to happen, right? I, you know, not necessarily. I mean, she could have gone her entire life without having a birthday on an X-Men date. X-Men yeah. release date. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, this cover could be way better, <laughs> but it's... It's, it's a good cover. I mean, what's wrong with it? It's Wolverine, and he's slicing up the comic book page... He's got all of his claws out. Background's a nice blue, which is a good stark contrast to his body. Um, like I said, like it's it, like its intent is really good, but I'm just not really a fan of the design. Uh, I like it. I think it's, I think it's flawless. Do you? I think it's. Uh, I don't have a problem with like the way his head is positioned on his shoulder because I can tell what's happening. He's hunched over and looking forward at us. Uh, I don't have a position with uh, or a problem with the well, his back legs kind of disproportionate but that's not even really a problem for me it's just it's it's cartoony well that is the usual problem that i have with john ramita jr yeah but here i don't mind it so much it uh you know we're, we're it's another wolverine cover and we we just came off of a wolverine 205 which is a not cartoony cover um, yeah but so. that was that was a barry windsor smith sort of joint it's a whole different thing. I get it. I get it. I mean, it, John Romita Jr. is not uh, Barry Windsor Smith, and and nor should he be. He's he's a uh, uh, famous in his own right. But uh, you know, just this cover, like uh, it's it's part is in the right place, but it just doesn't really move me. Like I don't buy this T-shirt. Uh, maybe I do. Just just yes, for the, the admit nost- it. You buy the T-shirt <laughs> for the nostalgia factor. I buy it, but secretly inside, I'm like, I'm only buying it because of nostalgia. Like I don't really like it. <laughs> You buy it and you like it. So that's, you know, that's really all that's going on on this cover. So let's open the thing up. Um, Chris Claremont is the writer. John Romita Jr. and Dan Green are the artists. Uh, Anna Senti is the editor. Let's see, I skipped some people. Tom Orzakowski is the letter. Glennis Oliver is the colorist. And Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And the reason it's so difficult, Adam, for me to get all of those credits out is because they're in the guise of street signs that are all toppled over in this pile of mess that Wolverine is standing on top of. It's almost post-apocalyptic. There's a lot of street lights and tires and bicycles and stop signs and boy, oh boy, all, fire hydrant. All sorts of stuff. And uh, it, there's somebody who's who's narrating, um, but think it's rachel well no i think it's a omnipresent narrator because oh, okay. he refers to rachel as she yeah you're right and uh wolverine is crouched on top of this junk heap and he growls out phoenix and we see phoenix staring back at him wolverine boy am i glad to see a friendly face what's going on partner wolverine leaps up into the air and he's like you're a bright girl and he dives right at her with his claws drawn and says, figure it out for yourself. And he slices into her arm and she says, you cut me. He responds that, babe, I aim to kill you. 
She side blasts him, knocking him back into the debris. And she takes off running. He's serious. I can see it in his thoughts. That's really Wolverine, my fellow X-Men, my friend. And he doesn't intend to stop until he's dead. Or I am. She, she keeps running through the city, which is flaming. Yeah, it's it's San Francisco. Is it? No, that was a crude, crude joke. Oh, that's a that's a reference. That's a reference to L.A. I assume. No, you said flaming. I said San Francisco. Move on. Oh, that's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we're in two different mind spaces here, Adam. I I'm... thought you were talking about something political. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I'm in the mind of a twelve-year-old boy right now. <laughs> So, yeah, as Rachel keeps running, the city kind of changes around her, fades away and disappears. She wonders what's happening. Uh, her change, her clothes change, and now she's in her future hound outfit. And she um, she, sees, she catches a glimpse of herself in, the, in, in a, I guess, a shop window, I think. And she realizes where she is and what's going on. And she screams, no, and smashes the shop window. How can I deny the evidence of my own eyes? Like, Wolverine, I was the best there was what I did. But what I did best was, is, she almost says it. She almost says, not very nice. Nope, she says obscene. She says obscene. I feel like they're working towards the Wolverine slogan. (laughs) It's one more step. We're almost there, everybody. So close. Uh, She stops in front of a crumbling wall that's got a poster of all of the X-Men with uh, various... Uh, titles either captured or killed looks like nightcrawler and rogue and colossus and cyclops have been captured wolverine kitty and storm have been killed and i believe magneto's up in the upper left but he his head's been ripped down as a part of the poster it's a clear reference to uh days of future past yeah totally she thinks to herself about how she betrayed her own kind helped the government capture mutants put them in concentration camps uh, and kill a lot of them. And, and eventually when there was no more mutants for her to round up, they put her in the concentration camp. Uh, they figured that the other mutants would take care of Phoenix, but they didn't. The surviving X-Men took her in, uh, which would essentially get us to X-Men number 141, where we f- first meet Rachel. She's been adopted. So, yeah, sort of a sort of a catch-up for anybody tuning in for the first issue. Huh. Not only is it a catch-up, but it's it's also kind of a little new insight uh, into Rachel's story. Um, we knew she was a hound. We knew she rounded up mutants, but we never really knew what the connecting glue between that and uh, her being in the concentration camps with the X-Men. So, ah, uh, right, right. Yeah, just a little. We could have figured it out, but this just kind of like puts the point on the exclamation point. She's running through the city, and she thinks to herself about... Her life with the X-Men after she traveled into the past was that a dream, a fantasy I created to escape a reality that had become too terrible to bear. No, it has to be true. It has to. Without that second chance, I can never make up for the awful things I've done. Too late. Wolverine grabs her by the hair. He says, too late, babe. Red and pulls her over the fence and says, your kind of debts aren't so easily paid. And he starts hacking and slashing at her body ferociously. Some, some crimes, Rachel Summers, can't be forgiven, and she she dead. She is dead. She's dead until she wakes up, because it was a nightmare, Adam. What? She wakes up, and her first thoughts are full of bitter regret. For in her heart of hearts, a still small voice snarls, you're better off dead. 
Better Off Dead, classic John Cusack. Totally, I want my two dollars. So she's uh, she's laying in bed. Her face has got the hound markings on it, and uh, she sees herself in the mirror. She wants that reflection to go away, so she she uses her telekinesis to just destroy the mirror. Right, Colossus. Noted that she does not know where she is. Yeah, Colossus and Kitty come in, and they're wondering what's going on. And Kitty kind of scolds her like, hey, you know, we just got back in town. Morlocks are kind of watching us. I don't really know why we're not at the mansion, but we're not. They brought Wolverine after they found him beaten oh. up after the Lady Deathstrike thing to the healer. Remember the healer? Yes, you're right. I forgot about that. And so uh, she's like, this is somebody's room. This mirror was probably a Morlock's only prized possession, and he just broke it. we got to be a little bit more careful there, Rachel. I didn't mean to. Yeah, well. Sometimes being sorry isn't enough, and a person with power can't afford accidents. That's kind of mean. It, it is, but we're driving a point home, uh, which we'll get to. She knows that Rachel comes from a war-torn future and her mind is a mess. It's a little low. It's a little low. I'll give you that. Rachel, she's like, who does she think she is talking to me like that? Except she's right. Darn it. So she tries to use her telekinesis to put the mirror back together, but that just creates a distorted, crazy spider web view of her face. And she uh, lets her telepathic powers go and the mirror comes crashing down again. We cut to Wolverine sleeping nearby and he wakes up and says, Rachel, what are you doing, girl, to me, to yourself? He gets out of bed. He's still beaten up from the events of X-Men 205. He's dragging me into your nightmare is killing us both. Gotta stop. So the nightmare that we just occurred, that was Wolverine. Wolverine was witness to that, apparently. Yeah. So I think the the pain, the damage, and the uh, mental and physical fatigue of all of that is affecting Wolverine. So in addition to his Lady Deathstrike wounds, um, these dreams that Rachel's pulling him into inadvertently is also taking its toll on him. Yes, and he collapses. Nightcrawler bamps into the room. Zoom Tufla, he's reopened his wounds. Tell Storm I'll tend to this idiot. Because I'm the medic, you know. Uh, he mentions the battle with Lady Deathstrike as well as the Beyonder, although I don't know that Wolverine really fought the Beyonder all that much. Yeah, right. Rogue takes off. She's thinking about how Kurt seems really worried. Um, and then she starts thinking about how Rachel uh, increased her own strength, absorbing all the X-Men's essences for the fight with the Beyonder. And uh, she wonders if there's any after effects with Rachel uh, and those powers. Is this the first uh view we're seeing of this new rogue outfit i believe so this this kind of becomes like the new classic new classic the new longer term rogue costume kind of the very 80s the black tights with the green top but eventually she'll get like a bikini bottom type thing and then in every issue the whole costume's shredded (laughs) jim lee years well i think it john romita starts it and Everybody's costume is shredded in the Jim Lee years. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for them Jim Lee shredded costume issues. That's what he's known for. Is, shredded costume. Is that his thing? Yeah. I draw babes and shredded costumes. And I but turn English women. costumes. And I turn English women into Japanese women. Spoilers. No, oh, what? Well, you don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> So, Storm kind of catches everybody up. These are the Morlocks, strange gang of mutants. Storm fought Callisto. She's got the mantle of leadership. And then she uh, 
Uh, she kind of dresses down. Well, not yet. Uh, she she confronts uh, uh, Rachel and like talks about how she likes her clothes. Uh, yeah, I like your style. Cute threads suits you. And uh, and uh, Rachel is wearing a very uh, Morlock esque punk rock jacket with a punk rock belt and a punk rock um i don't know what you call those wristbands that go up to your elbows so is, they have a cool fashion name though so is storm storm is wearing or not storm but um rogue is wearing a spiked um dog collar for lack of a better word like a well storm rogue and uh, rachel are all wearing a this kind of spiked punk collar yeah and uh, she's got like a um, like a spiked sash, and she's got like a spiked back plate. And I just, as I'm reading this, I'm like, why? Because John Romita just discovered punk rock. Well, it's like they went to the Morlock t- tunnels, and Callisto's like, whoa, 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 X-Men, you're welcome here, Storm's leader, but you got to put these on. But before you do anything, you need to listen to these Patti Smith albums. <laughs> You're not. They don't listen to Sex Pistols. They they just go to Patti Smith. Well, you know it's the good stuff. Well, I know, but I mean, every punk rocker's got to start out with the Sex Pistols. You know, the the X Men are aware of the the Sex Pistols, but it takes them going into the Morlock tunnels to dig up the the Patti Smith. Okay, all right, sure. Deep deep cuts. Uh, yeah, so, um, Rachel... Patty Smith is, like, super rare. Well, no, but, uh, it's not my first go-to when somebody brings up punk music. Ah, uh, fair enough. I, I don't even know that it's my second, third, fourth, or fifth. It's, it's way down the list of punk rock references. The Clash up there? Clash is up there, the Misfits are up there. Uh, you know, okay, maybe, maybe she's at five then, <laughs> or four. <laughs> because now I'm out of punk bands. I oh, didn't wow. really, I didn't really listen to much punk, you know? Okay. Would uh, would old uh, Talking Heads be considered punk? I believe uh, initially the Talking Heads and the Police were considered punk, but that was before the punk movement really defined itself as this kind of angsty guitar-driven rock sort right. of thing. I mean, U2 but, claims to have been born out of a punk scene, and you know, you don't really hear it that that much. Yeah, well, the punk rock when it was in, when they initially coined the term punk rock, it was just music of that era. Sure. And then it very, very quickly became very specific music of that era. And so today we don't think of U2 or the police or the Talking Heads as a punk rock band. But back in the day, they, they were initially considered that. Yeah. I would think that most of the CGB, CGBG performances of the Talking Heads, I think that would still be fall under the punk category. CB, well, CBGB? I, um, musically, I would say probably not, but, yeah, you know, Anyways. definitely of the time. We've tangented greatly. Rachel wants to know how Wolverine is. Storm dismissively says he lives. He lives? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because everybody is kind of annoyed at Rachel right now, um, which Rachel wants to know why, and Rogue says, hey, it's because of, of the fact that when you were fighting the Beyonder, you kind of stole everybody's essence without asking. I mean, you asked me. I was cool with it. And you asked Kitty, but Kitty even thinks you might have tricked her, like with your mind bullets. Do you believe I'd force such a choice? But you're a telepath, Ray. At that time, one of the most powerful in creation. You were driven, desperate, absolutely fanatical, sure of what you were doing. Can you truly say your subconscious wasn't prompting us to make the choice you wanted? That's strong. That's We don't get an answer to that question. Dems fighting words. Instead, we cut over to Japan, 
where Rachel is, uh, it's like a, it's like a moonlight. Uh, she's on a patio wearing a robe, um, traditional Japanese robe with a large sash. Kimono, maybe? That sounds appropriate. <laughs> okay. Um, she's looking out upon, I don't know, whatever, whatever palace she's in, and the gate smashes open. The main gate, the palace is under attack, and it's Wolverine, and his costume's all torn up. It's a pretty good drawing, too. I like it a lot. It's very scary. Phoenix! Phoenix, you should know better, girl, and try and hide from me. She thinks, this, is ju- this isn't real, it's just another dream. That doesn't matter. <laughs> he knows my thoughts. I'm a part of them, Rachel, as you made yourself a part of me when you stole my life essence. Uh, should have asked, babe. Go away, leave me alone, please. So now we're getting the idea that part of the reason that Wolverine is in the nightmares that Rachel is having is because of her stealing his essence uh, in a couple issues ago. I think it's, yeah, I I think it's left up to interpretation uh, because it could be that Rachel is guilt-wracked and uh, as she goes through these dreams, she's having the dreams that Wolverine's after her to, to try to satisfy this guilt, maybe. Well, we get another reason that's coming up and it's the one that I'm going to, uh, to connect with only because I don't think it's ever referenced again and it doesn't seem to drive the plot forward. Therefore, I think it's the fact. Mm. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yep. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. So they, they, uh, they chase each other. Wolverine's in the basically silhouetted throughout the majority of this. And he cuts her again. Friendship involves trust. You betrayed mine. And she wakes up once again at her death, presumably. And she's in an alleyway, uh, no longer in the Morlock Caves. She must have wandered up here, fallen asleep. Doesn't matter. I'm still alive. Hooray for me. (laughs) Look at these people. They don't even know. They're stupid and complacent. How How much have we saved them? The entire universe. Yet they're still scared of us. Mutant hatred. Simply because we're mutants. Um, all that we can left, uh, all that we have left to depend on is each other. Now I don't even have that. I wanted the X Men to be my friends, accept me as part of their family, but I took their essences. I shouldn't have. So she's now, she's a bit uh, guilty about that. Here's where we get the other reason. She says that uh, as she tried to supercharge Wolverine's healing powers in X Men Two O Two, she did after the whole Lady Deathstrike thing, and she thinks that that may have. Uh, intensified their dream link, which I don't think this is ever referenced again. So I feel like Chris Claremont just threw this in because, like, either he was just spitballing ideas or, or he just wanted to make concrete reasoning. I don't remember her supercharging his abilities in X Men Two Hundred Two. I'm sure it happened, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I vaguely remember it because I remember being a little bored or disappointed by that issue. Um, that was the issue where the Beyonder brings out. Uh, Sentinels from the future? No, it was 203. The one that, that we keep talking about where she stole the essence that I didn't like. 202 is okay. It's not great. Whatever. Anyways, okay, so you're right. I don't, that never is referenced again. Yeah, so I feel like Chris Claremont, like, it, this story doesn't need any of these reasons, but for some reason, Chris Claremont is giving us quite a few. Yeah, the the story overall is is pretty good and could be just left to the reader's imagination to come up with the reasons why this dream quote dream link is happening. But yeah. he decided to put something in there. 
she finds herself like in a desert wasteland. So we literally get a page of reality followed by another dream sequence. Yeah. This the this issue is mostly dream sequence. Yep. So I guess a whole day has passed. She went back to the Morlock tunnels, fell asleep, and now we're back in a dream state. And she's running. Uh, we don't see Wolverine yet. Wolverine, uh, wherever you are, I'm sorry. And she trips and falls down a giant hill into a black pond, which I, I guess is just, it's a, a, actually a blue pond, but the inking makes it look dark. Yeah, it's just water. She sees her reflection. She sees her hound mask and her costume. And she, no, 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 no. She grabs her face and her eyes and she pulls away and it pulls the skin off. And uh, she, she's revealing the real her. And the real her is not this uh, Annie Lennox-looking, short-haired um, uh, hound, hound. Hound. She's a she's just a girl with with a with a normal girl haircut and a normal girl clothes and just normal. She's Rachel Wait, Summers. Are you trying to say that girls with short hair aren't normal? I'm trying to say that the artist's interpretation in 1986 is that a normal girl. Has normal long. Yeah, I'm not saying that, Adam. I'm just looking this is at the quite page. A hole you're going down and reinterpreting it. <laughs> I'm all for ladies with short hair. <laughs> I'm all for throwing away pronouns. And she, uh, she looks like a young Jean Grey. Was my interpretation? Yes. Um, so and she's she normal. has that. She has the 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 Jean Grey style hair from the '60s. The Rachel Summers that might have been. Is this my second chance? Can I start over, begin again? Oh, please let it be so. And that's when Wolverine comes from behind and says, forgetting something red. Wolverine, I'm different now. See, I'm better. And Wolverine doesn't care, but that's what you think. And she uh, she immediately sigh attacks him, knocking him backwards. And that's when she wakes up again. And now she's on the subway. Yeah, and there's a police officer there, and he's like, hey, you can't sleep here. That's asking for trouble. Um, do your folks know you're here? She says her folks are dead. Uh, he's like, oh, he's checking her arms, and she's like, I don't do drugs. I'm clean, officer. And he's like, well, why don't you come with me, and I'll get you a meal and a place to sleep. And she she sigh trips him and runs. And she heads back. Uh, out of the subway on Spring Street, where apparently months ago when she first met the X-Men, she comes to the loft of the dude she met that uh, Celine uh, stole the life essence out of. And she's like, hey, that's the house that I was at. And it's completely destroyed because of the action that went down in that issue. She she has a flashback of that, meeting the dude, going, having a nice bath after being in the future, seeing his body all disintegrated, having the side battle with Celine, and this is when she decides she wants revenge. That man befriended me at the cost of his life, and I've forgotten his name. Mm -hmm. A little failure to stand beside the big one. It's past time I did something right and even the score. So I guess this is her way of trying to atone for the sins of stealing the essence of the X-Men? Or is it just a distraction? It's probably a little bit of both. Yeah, okay. So the X-Men, meanwhile, at the Morlock Alley, uh, go to Rachel's room, or, or Wolverine's room, and they're like, Wolverine's gone! Where is he? Kitty's like, yeah, uh, Rachel's gone too. They're both gone. I wonder if this is connected. We can't really worry about Rachel right now because Wolverine's in terrible shape, so let's go after Wolverine. So 
Yeah. They could split up. No, I mean the Morlocks join in. I know Callisto's like, well, you lead the or you lead the Morlocks, so we'll help. And it's like it's like a Scooby Doo gang running in the front, <laughs> being chased by a whole bunch of monsters. Except the monsters in this case are allies, and everyone's gonna go help find Wolverine. There's like thirty of them, and nobody's gonna go look for Rachel. It's not a very good plan. No, not at all. Rachel shows up at uh, Monarch Towers, which I'm sure is renamed Trump Tower by now, <laughs> and uh, sees Friedrich von Rome, who is one of the, I think he's like the Black Rook or something like that. And uh, he, she, she, uh, she telekinetically or telepathically controls him to uh, be his date so that he can get admittance into the um, Hellfire Club. He's the one with the uh, with the weight powers, right? I don't, I don't, there's, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a, maybe, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> he He's able to control like the density of something. Maybe I, I don't remember. We'll find out next issue though. That's but, true. Yeah. Well, she calls him chubs. So I think it's him. Yeah. Um, uh, I think most of the hellfire club, I mean, due to their rich decadence or overweight, unless they're the women, then they're small. <laughs> Cause apparently. And the, scantily clad. Yes. The hellfire clubs are all about fat men and scantily clad women. <laughs> the uh the maid uh shows up as Rachel is uh knocking out Frederick von Rome uh I guess in his room at the Hellfire Club. He knocks her unconscious for like a 24-hour period or so. She she knocks the maid unconscious as well and steals her clothes. I thought she wasn't like last time she visited she wasn't able to use her psychic powers. Oh, am I misunderstanding she, she that? She says something uh, somewhere in here about being able to psychically contract her powers to just like immediately around her. So yeah, as, but that doesn't that doesn't that's just something that she's doing to hide herself from Celine. Oh, I thought in the previous issue, and I could have just misread this. Oh, maybe like psychic dampeners. Yeah, she wasn't able to find anybody because of the psychic dampeners. I feel like I think you're right. So maybe they're just on the fritz today. Okay. They just busted. All right. Or the White Queen was over last night, and they're like, hey, let's turn these down so she can like have fun with her powers. And somebody forgot to turn them back on. Okay. Yeah. I like that. So, so she heads into the Black Queen's room, and she she looks around, and Celine's sleeping. She's helpless. She could be taken out. Uh, but, but Rachel pauses. She sees the Black Queen's uniform, and she sees visions or maybe her memories of stories she's heard or something of uh, when um, Mastermind uh, coerced or seduced Jean into becoming the Dark Phoenix and the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club. And this makes her even more angry. She and, fought her way free from the Black from, from the Black Queen, but emerged transformed into Dark Phoenix. So, All because of this accursed club and people like you. So she is, well, I don't know. She goes a little psycho. She starts normal. Her eyes get yellow. She gets, her eyebrows go go evil looking. She gets, she's got a sneer on her face. She's like, the, the Hellfire Club is evil. It's inner circle. These Lord's Cardinal chose to be what they are. She turns into the phoenix all uh, all in and says, this is no less than what they deserve. And she means to destroy Celine. Yeah, she she remembers how a couple weeks ago she connected with the entire universe and she couldn't kill them. But then those were innocent lives and the Hellfire Club are not innocent lives. And she has no problems whatsoever 
attacking Celine while she sleeps. Yep. So she Celine wakes up uh, because I guess Rachel didn't deliver the death blow, but she's like, uh, "I'm changed." Uh, and Rachel, or Celine, thinks to herself, "Oh, it's Rachel. She's. I knew she had lots of power, but I didn't realize it was this this much power." She didn't realize that she would be able to achieve her her current levels of power this quickly. But she's not without resources of her own. She can animate every object in the room, and she does and throws them at Rachel. But Rachel's like, whatever. I got I got telekinesis, and she's able to like throw up a shield and block all of this damage from hitting her. Uh, the Black Queen, it should be noted, is fighting in her underpants. Yeah, she was sleeping, so she's just in a bra and panties. <laughs> she don't care. She's like, I got the bod to pull this off. I ain't changing for you. It's just kind of... I don't know. Comic it, books. It's it's very comic book. <laughs> yeah, it's not like she's like in pajamas, like like frumpy pajamas. Nope, it's mm. it's skin tight bikini briefs and and bikini top. At least she doesn't sleep naked like Jean Grey was, or we'd be in trouble with the comics code. Yeah, or or Storm or whoever else. <laughs> Anyways, um, Rachel. Uh, so Rachel was caught this way. Last time they fought by uh, Celine surrounding her with junk and stuff, but Rachel was prepared, and so she was able to defend against it, and she grabs her with, like, the Phoenix Force hand, and she's like, that guy you killed, I'm mad, and I don't even know his name. She says, do you remember the guy that, that night we met that you you vampired? And, and uh, Celine says, Nicholas Demiano, I remember him, a courageous heart, a noble soul. His essence fed me well. You know his name, she screams. Rachel I screams. honor him, yes, as I do all whom I slay, as I shall you. He had meaning to me, as he obviously had none for you, else you would have remembered. Uh-uh. <laughs> Rachel is so mad, she, she just kind of, like, explodes power outward, and then we get this kind of panel of, like, the two of them facing off against one another. Celine is is scared and also excited for the fact that she faces a foe that is worth, worth worthy of her, capable even of destroying her. And the uh, members of the Hellfire Club are hearing this and uh, evacuating. As they're yeah. evacuating, a familiar shadowy character enters and heads up the stairs. Somehow, the room that they're in is being completely totaled, but the the. The damage is contained to just the room yeah. outside of the Hellfire Club. Uh, nothing, nothing is stirring at all until the power goes out. Celine's got some soundproof room because you know she likes her privacy. I think it's a very well-contained battle. These guys are really keeping it all in. Yeah, like they're like, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody else. I just want to hurt you. Right. Rachel's got. Um, Celine with like this this psychic phoenix hand just kind of squeezing and squeezing. It's like you lose, Celine. Your dark or your reign of darkness is over. Your countless victims are at last about to be avenged. Wolverine shows up at the door and says, "Rachel," in a word balloon that has a red border around it. Stop, darling, before it's too late. And I don't really like this image of Wolverine. Um, his sideburns are just way too out of control. Yeah. He's a furball. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that can get this right. Um, There's no way this guy can get that mask on. No, not and not conceal that, that beard. But I think John Romita Jr. is going for like a really like wild Wolverine. And it's I don't usually don't mind scary. it. 
but yeah, I, I see. I, I know what you're saying. I mean, because a lot of people can do it really well, uh, and and some people do this, where it's basically like hair everywhere except for just the chin and the mustache. It just doesn't work for me in this panel. In other panels, in the same issue, it works for me fine. Like on the next page, mm. it, it, I'm okay with it. Mm. In some places, okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Rachel's like, what are you doing here, Wolverine? You're not real. You're from my dream. Still chasing and hunting me. Why? Why are you here? What have I done to fill you with such hate? Wolverine, just haggard looking, says nothing yet. Selena's playing with your mind or my mind to make you save her, but I'd know if she did. She's helpless. So yeah, Rachel's kind of spiraling out of control here, and Wolverine's like, um, you gotta stop. You're not the judge, jury, and executioner. Bold talk, little man from a natural killer. That's right. That's something we have in common. We've both killed. Odds are we'll kill again, but this, Rachel, this is murder. To which Rachel should be saying, okay, wait, 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 hold on a second. Define murder, because I'm really confused right now. <laughs> Well, I mean, Wolverine's kind of maintained over the last handful of issues or whatever that he doesn't want to kill, but like when the when the battle calls for it and when there's no other way to get out of the solution, killing is an option. But it ain't murder? Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. I, I see where your point is, but but I think yeah, I mean the the intent here is like this is just like this is senseless cold-blooded murder. This is not a battle. This is revenge murder and we're better yeah, than yeah. this we're heroes we stand I can't for get what we're saying for i just think it's it's coming heavy-handed from wolverine a little bit a little, little ham-fisted but um and, and wolverine goes on to say it isn't worthy of you rachel or phoenix and as sure as blazes ain't worthy of any x-man i don't care you better we call ourselves heroes it means something you got to play by the rules Phoenix makes her own rules. And this is when stuff gets real. Wolverine says, this is your last warning. I'm not going to ask again. Come with me. The only way to stop me, Logan, is to kill me. Wolverine moves in closely, grits his teeth, and we get our last panel, which is a stylized snicket. And that's the that's the end of the issue, which, when reading this, I was like, whoa, that's it? Yeah. That was a very sudden ending. It's a it's it's an interesting issue. Uh, all of the dream stuff that happens first, and then her revenge tale on Celine. Like it seems like it maybe could have been two issues, but I'm glad it wasn't. Well, you know, it's 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 a story that was divided into chunks, two parts. So, I mean, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't really have a beginning, middle, and end. It kind of has like a a middle, a middle, and a middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the story is not over yet either. I mean, this is this is really just the first part of a larger story. Absolutely, uh, and and this is kind of what I was talking about because the very last panel of the last issue is Happy Go Lucky Nightcrawler waiting for more adventures and swashbuckling, and we end <laughs> this issue with apparently Wolverine killing Rachel. Yeah, this is a very different tone that. Claremont just decided to go for, which is cool because I don't. You know, this think, is like, yeah, I don't not expected. I don't think he just decided. I think this was like part of the plan. Well, it, it, I'm not saying that this wasn't part of a plan. I'm just saying that like it's 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 a very large shift, not just in tone, but also in storytelling style, 
like it's basically like I was telling this story, but now I've moved on to this story. There's a very big dividing line in the 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 way the stories are told and 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 the the, the tonality between the stories. Yeah, which I, I like. I mean, I'm I'm all for it. It's it makes it interesting. I agree. Yeah, it's it's this is this is get ready, people, because this is kind of a, a a newer, darker, grittier X Men series as of now. This is Phase B, or C, or D. It could be D, <laughs> or ninety four. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're at a, at a some sort of a subdivision in the series, but uh, anyhow, yeah, that's uh, X Men number two hundred seven. Good issue, like it, like it. Yeah, yeah. I like it that it took some of the garbage that we got in two hundred three and and kind of made something out of it. So that's good. Uh, let us know what you thought, though. Uh, you can reach us at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com or Facebook dot com forward slash danger room podcast you can follow us on twitter at danger room go or email us danger room at redcapproductions.com you can subscribe to us on itunes just go into there hit the podcast section type in danger room we're the first one that shows up or you can leave us a voice message at 501 get x-men that's 501-438-9636 and as always our Theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And with that, we've got a little bit of additional reading here. Sure. What'd you read? I read New Mutants number 42, which continues the solo stories. Last issue was Danny Moonstore. This one is Cannonball. And uh, this was a good old story. If you like if you like the relationship between Cannonball and Lila Cheney, this this kind of continues it. Don't you mean Lila Cheney? No. Oh. That, that's what that's what how you pronounce things. Oh, okay. But twelve year old you is wrong. <laughs> no, he's right, and he's inside, <laughs> and he's he's scared and sad. <laughs> so Cannonball is visiting his uh, family in I think it's Cumberland, Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Lila Shaney is also happens to be on tour, and she's planning a date somewhere nearby there. So they're they're going to coincide. And he's going to introduce Lila to his mom because I guess they're they're pretty hot and heavy at this point. Pretty serious. However, they do get into a fight over a misunderstanding. It seems that Lila has uh, created or uh, well, we don't uh, initially was thought that she may have stolen a trinket to give to his mother. And Sam recoils thinking that she stole it and accuses her of being a thief. And she is upset. And as it turns out, she actually spent months creating it so rightfully so so they have they break up get into a big fight meanwhile when with his family sam is having odds we get to meet a lot of the uh the guthrie clan although most of them not by name the only other person we meet by name is his brother josh we see that he has several sisters um and josh has taken on the burden of it's his younger brother it's taken on the burden of the man of the family and is kind of resentful of it. But as his mom points out, points out he's kind of a different sort of person. He's, he's never going to leave the town. He's a homebody. But he's kind of worried about becoming a mutant, that sort of stuff. Uh, Lila's plane crashes as they're traveling somewhere. So Josh and Sam team up to work together to rescue Lila and the band. Uh, and we kind of are implied, although it's never outright, says that Josh has a... Uh, gifted singing voice mutant power which he uses in order to power up dazzler in order to help her cut them a hole out of the uh the 
the debris of the plane that they're all trapped in. Wait a minute, Dazzler's here? Yes, Dazzler's in this issue. She dyes her hair black and is going is currently touring with the band Incognito. Oh, okay, good. Uh, so at the at the very end of it, it's, it's uh, obviously they save everybody. Um, Lila shows up to meet Sam's mom in a full punk rock outfit, and Sam's like, "Oh no, my mom's gonna go crazy!" But he's he accepts it. He's like, "All right, let's do this. I I accept you for who you are, and this is the costume you want to go with. It's it's cool with me." So realizing that she 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 disappears using her mutant power and reappears. Wearing a, a a nice for mom meeting outfit, it's much more uh, less punk rock, and Cannonball re- breathes a sigh of relief and says, Ooh. And She says, "I I just wanted to know that you would I would never I would never purposefully embarrass you, but at the same token, I don't ever want you to be embarrassed by me." And uh, it's a nice little moment. Yeah. It's, it's a good one. Yeah, nice. And so they meet. They meet mom. Yeah, I thumbed through that issue, and it seemed that the. Uh, the gist of it was that mom accepted everything that was happening. She's a, she, you know, she's one of those moms who's wise beyond her years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Good for Sam Guthrie. Oh yeah. Well, she's got all these mutant children. What is she going to do? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I read, uh, <clears throat> X factor number six. I read most of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, after uh, after being defeated by the Alliance, uh, X-Factor quarrels amongst themselves, kind of questioning their whole mission as X-Factor and kind of the front that they've put up and maybe some of the problems that are being created by the mutant hysteria. Jean accuses Scott of blaming her for the Alliance getting the drop on them because she uh, and uh, because she, Phoenix had telepathy and she no longer does. So she's kind of like you know, I'm not Phoenix, I'm Gene, and I don't have those powers, and why are you taking this out on me? Scott takes his anger out on Angel by shooting at him, but the Angel uh, dodges out of the collapsed motel to see the police checking in on the scene. So the team kind of like, okay, we got to put our differences aside, and they split up to try to track down Michael, who was the guy that amplifies powers from the last issue, as well as the Alliance. Um, Gene goes with the Angel and uh, tells him that she assumes that the loss of Phoenix and Jean's return is what's really creating the divide between her and Scott. Angel almost tells Jean about Maddie and how he now has feelings for her, uh, but before that they get attacked. Uh, so he's unable to complete his thought and sentence to her, as will happen and has happened. Scott tells Bobby that Maddie has left him uh, and that while Michael is doing everything he can do to save his woman, Scott is pushing all the women in his life away from him, and he's having problems with that. Eventually, X-Factor meets up with the Alliance and Apocalypse, and they fight. During the fight scene, Scott thinks that he actually sees a Phoenix effect surround Gene. Eventually, X-Factor beats Apocalypse, uh, but as Apocalypse leaves, he thanks x-factor for what he has learned of them and leaves both x-factor and the alliance and uh in an epic brooding pose at the end of the issue (laughs) scott contemplates if gene and phoenix are really one in the same oh my yeah you kind of mentioned this there's there's a nice moment in the beginning uh where we sort of allude to gene says Michael did whatever he had to do because he was in love and anybody who's in love would do whatever they have to do for their lady. And you can just see Scott going. Right. You can also see Angel kind of being like, Ooh, here's my opportunity. (laughs) So, 
it's good stuff. It's good issue. Good stuff. And yeah, we get the introduction of Apocalypse and his full, full on, I'm Apocalypse, I'm not the Owl Man or whatever. A little cartoony, I felt, in this issue. He doesn't seem, he seems very cartoony. His um, body design is just about the same as it will always be, but his mouth goes back and forth between the mouth we will come to know to a very, like, expressive, emotional, like, wide open mouth. Uh <laughs> Future Apocalypse has no expressions, right? His move, mouth moves a little bit when he talks. But this is like, I'm always yelling! <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. X-Factor number six. Indeed. We also, I guess, have uh, Vision and the Scarlet Witch number seven, which was uh, kind of an interesting continuation of the Toad story from, well, Vision and the Scarlet Witch number six. Yeah, so we've... we've cutting straight to the middle of this issue uh toad manages to escape uh from the lab where he's being held that the vision is of course visiting because that's how comics work <laughs> and uh we get more of the details about how when he was trapped on the stranger's world he um learned about all of the equipment that wasn't tied down and learned how to use it and he's become a master of all this machinery and they have a big fight in space vision and toad um where toad says i'm ugly but you're a machine she should love me and um vision basically says it doesn't matter if you're ugly or if i'm a machine it's just what matters inside she 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 relates to me and she never did to you so get lost dude yeah and he uh he gets toad gets really upset and shoots uh, Vision out into space and runs away. Yep. Vision kind of turns kind of supernova as he heads back towards uh, the planet's surface, and he flies right into the backyard or front yard of their home, and, uh, yeah, they, him and Scarlet Witch snuggle up for the evening. And uh, there's, like, a lesson here. Like, Vision realizes he's not a machine, he's the Vision. So the whole lesson here was that a Vision is realizing that what you said, right, it doesn't matter what I am or if you're ugly or whatever, it's just what's inside. And what's inside is the Vision, not a machine. So, yeah. Yeah. And then there's another thing here which isn't really relevant, but uh, Vision, uh, no, somebody stumbles upon uh, somebody, uh, Luna, kissing uh, a dude. I don't know what that reference is. Or not Luna. Is the Quicksilver's wife. Is that Luna? Uh, no, Luna's there. It's Crystal. Luna's their daughter. Yeah, Crystal. Crystal is making out with like some dude down the road. And there's like a, a what moment? But Which I'm sure is just a misunderstanding. But it's confusing because the the woman who oversees this is says, oh, no, poor Wanda. It's like, I don't want Wanda care. <laughs> yeah, more like poor, poor Quicksilver. Right. Yeah, poor Quicksilver. So, well, we'll probably never figure out what happened there. Well, then, you know, I can I can tell you from the future of comics that Crystal still has a thing for Johnny Storm. Oh, really? Yeah, and and it turns out that Quicksilver's kind of a jerk. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, Firestar number four, completing out that uh, four part mini series. Um. Cover by Barry Windsor Smith. Also, I should note, uh, New Mutant Story 2 also had a cover by Barry Windsor Smith. He is apparently doing cover duties. I think the cover of New Mutants number um, 42 is better than this cover. Yes, I would agree. But, I, yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, long story short, uh, Crystal realizes that uh, White Queen has been playing her like a fiddle, and she gets out. 
Yeah, her <laughs> her her bodyguard gets killed in the process, but at the last second, he he having discovered the White Queen's plan. Let's her know you're being played like a fiddle. The White Queen's bad, and so the White Queen's plan to have uh, Firestar be an assassin for the Black Queen fails because Firestar gets her revenge. Yeah, kind of blows everything up, um, attacks the White Queen, bests her, and at this Shaw comes in and he's like, "Don't pursue the girl. Like we're we're gonna move on." And so uh, Firestar heads back home and reconciles the difference she had with her father. Because I think her father was like, you're a dirty mutant. But then he's like, I love you. And now everything's fine. He was confused. Yep. So I'm glad you decided to give your old man a second chance. I've missed you. Yeah. I'm frightened of the future, but I'm willing to give it a chance. Yeah. It's good Happy stuff. Happy ending. Good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, She fakes out the White Queen by pretending to burn her face and the white queen's like what have you done to my beautiful face yep. and then she says nothing nothing i just heated up the air around it so it'd make you think like you burnt your face off but your face is fine yeah and she tells her to leave her alone and she basically has the advantage and makes a deal where she can't be tracked by the white queen so the white queen leaves her alone then the hellfire club as you said decides to leave her alone so firestar for the time being is out does she ever come back? Probably. I don't. She, re- she doesn't she come goes back on to be one of the best friends of Spider-Man. Okay. That, well, in in the TV show, which is canon. <laughs> I uh, I I'm fairly certain she doesn't ever make an appearance in the pages of the X-Men. I don't know about the New Mutants. Oh, well, I don't know about that. She probably does. In the pages of the X-Men. Eventually, I would imagine. I mean, there's been so many years of the X-Men. I don't know. I, I mean, it's very probable, right? Because there's 400 more. Well, what are we on? 207? There's like 230 some odd issues left. All right. Her next appearance is in New Warriors number one. So she becomes a new warrior. That's right. You know what? I so, think I actually have that comic. And that's in that's in four years. <laughs> yeah, sure. I totally have that issue but it all comes together adam yeah all right well you got anything else no that's that's it i got nothing else so uh, until next time my name is jeremy my name's adam and the danger room is closed <laughs>